Okay, we are live. Welcome everybody to Spark Session. Today we have Sergio Picasso, and we are going to talk cannabis genetics, cannabis nurseries, and kind of all the concerns um, you know that arise from that. I am Ryan Cocott. I am general counsel for IKNK Brands, and I'll let my uh, my co-host introduce himself. Yeah, and I'm Joe Devlin, re uh, re recovering regulator, now senior vice president with IKNK Brands. Welcome to the show, Sergio. Yeah. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate you having me on. My name is Sergio Bacazzo, and I'm with Cultivated Genetics. Awesome. What does what does Cultivated Genetics do exactly, Sergio? Can you just kind of give us the thousand foot view? Yeah. Um, first and foremost, I really appreciate you guys having me on the show. And um, so, yeah, uh, Cultivated Genetics. We are a indoor cannabis nursery based out of Sacramento, and we are 11 months young. Awesome. And Joe, I'll let you kind of take the lead. This is Joe's was the one that kind of coordinated this guest. So I'll let you kind of lead with the questions here. Yeah, um, appreciate um, you, you coming on and, and, and taking some time. Um, you know, we first met, um, you know, I think when I was walking through your facility, um, as you were doing your build out and getting, getting permitted. Um, so maybe just kind of, you know, share with us like, How's it going within the 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 nursery space? You know, obviously, um, the the retail aspect of cannabis is probably the most public facing part of it, um, and everyone thinks about you know manufacturing when they're eating a gummy or or maybe buying that vape cart, um, and even the cultivator when they're buying flour. But I think you know the nursery piece of this um, certainly the consumer doesn't give a lot of thought to, um, but uh, so how is that going in, in within, um, you know, how, how, what's your view kind of, 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 of the market right now? Yeah, I think you, um, you position that perfectly for why we are in the industry. So cultivated genetics realized that there was a gap in the industry from, uh, from a consumer standpoint, right? We wanted to be able to provide that trusted start of the supply chain. So from a retail perspective, yes, we are trying to, um, build awareness around pathogen-free mother stock, strong genetics derived from tissue culture, and, and ultimately just being that 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 trusted partner that cultivation partners can really lean into. So the perception is, um, you know, really do we have the ability to showcase why it's important for a pathogen-free start and, and really emphasizing the cleanliness and the SOPs and, and really everything that's coming around to, uh, you know, the who's your mommy hashtag. Right. That's that's really our, our stick to create awareness around what we're doing and, and the emphasis around the the overall uh, macro thesis of just being a trusted start to the supply chain. Yeah. I, you know, on your uh, Instagram, you it's um, you, you you talk about it's, it's adoption day. Right. And I think that that's I think that's great. I think that speaks to you. Um, you know, kind of that ethos and that that lens that you're bringing to um to the kind of the quality and care of, of, of what you do. Um, yeah. What, what are some of those, you mentioned kind of SOPs um, and certainly, you know, you know, you talk to cultivators um, and I'll say at least like the good ones and the really knowledgeable ones, you know, they're very serious about their genetics and they're very serious about the nurseries that they work with um, or the, you know, how they care for their, for their own genetics. I mean, I guess, what are some of the things that are kind of happening in that space or, or potential, you know, problems that you've kind of seen started starting to come about within um, maybe plant genetics and kind of, you know, that nursery to cultivator relationship. So, so there's, there's a lot there that I would, I would love to elaborate on the, so going back to, my phone's dropping off, and Brian, thank you for preparing us for all these live challenges. There we go. Um, so plant stock, right? So people holding on to their genetics um, year after year, it's going to catch some diseases, some viroids, some pathogens along the way, maybe some pest pressure. So that's really the beauty around tissue culture and why we specifically wanted to reach out to uh, Node Labs. We partnered up with Node Labs to provide us with tissue culture plantlets, which we start off as their Gen Zero moms. So all that that encompasses that we are trying to find the cleanest way to formulate the nursery propagation. 
process. So along all these genetic discussions that we have, the retail space, the, the commercial space, I mean, it's challenging to, to try to anticipate what cultivars we should be putting into our library, right? And this is really where we want to pay homage to the, to the legacy cultivators and a lot of the breeders that really just don't get the attention. So we really are leaning into the breeders to, to showcase what the work is that they want the, the community to really enjoy. So shout out to Compound Genetics and Midwest Best for being our two um, first breeders that we're able to showcase on the curator's cut line. And really all that's doing is allowing us to, to, to really bring awareness around what is important about cannabis. And, and to us at Cultivated, we are very passionate about the experiential side of cannabis, not necessarily the potency of THC, it's terpenes, it's the flavor, it's the experience. Right. And so this is a lot around the, the level of awareness that we really want to try to showcase. And, and again, by leaning into the breeders um, that can help us understand why they took this particular lineage and married it with this one to create this flavor profile. So a little bit about me historically, I, I wanted to be a chef growing up. So um, growing up in a Mexican household, I was always in the kitchen, right? I was always wanting to cook and really understanding food flavor profiles and, and being able to match you know, food and wine and all that stuff. That's a great passion. I see a lot of similarities in the cannabis space, right? And this is really what's gotten us excited about getting the support from the reader uh, community and really just being able to showcase a lot of the awareness around genetics and lineage and, and really emphasizing terpenes and flavor for the experience. So is the, you, you mentioned kind of like the, 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 was it the zero mother, gen zero mother plant. So our, our, it, it might kind of take that like our, our plants in a way kind of like you know the old cassette tapes you can only make so many copies of it before 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 it starts getting worn out and is, is that when the plant then becomes susceptible to disease and and that's why that that's when really tissue culture comes into play that's a great point yes so tissue culture is vital in that that entire regeneration process so in, in simplest terms, like I wanted to say that uh, tissue culture and the application of the right methodology is essentially like rehab for plants, right? So along all these separate generations and, um, and, and, and cuttings that come off of the, the plants, you can use tissue culture to rejuvenate those genetics and bring back the, the vigorous, the, you know, all the, the desirable traits from that particular genetic lineage. And now you've got this fresh start. So that's why we utilize the term Gen Zero so essentially what we're doing is we're bringing about the, um, the plant material from tissue culture. Shout out to Note Labs again. Thank you guys. What you guys provide us is really the cleanest opportunity to provide these, um, these, these tissue culture mothers that we can produce generation one clones off of. So first gen clones is really the way that we're creating awareness around the, the entire process that we're doing at Cultivated. Um, and, you know, and maybe if, if you can kind of expand on like why that is so important, I, you know, I, I, I'm not a cultivator, right. But, you know, I work in this industry and work in the space and um, I've begun to hear kind of, you know, rumblings about stuff that I really don't know anything about other than it's not good. And, um, you know, there's some bacillium or, or, you know, some of these other kind of, you know, maybe diseases that are, that are being passed along or, or, you know, being passed along into plants or through genetics um, and they're affecting people's crops. Right. I mean, I just heard, you know, one horror story of, you know, someone losing, you know, 40,000 square feet of canopy uh, and not finding it out until day 80 that they had a, that they had a, a, a root problem and had to, you know, basically gut everything and start from scratch. Like, you know, is that, is that a, is that, are those issues uh, prevalent? Is that something that is increasing? It is absolutely increasing, yes. So pathogens, viroids, I know the, the, the susceptibility of plants that, um, that do get passed around and, and just the, the, the environment that these plants are coming out of as well can cause pathogen introduction. And, and a lot of the things that we're seeing um, to plants that aren't coming off of tissue culture or coming out of tissue culture are susceptible to these uh, to these occurrences. Now, I will say that I have seen a lot of different uh, commercial scenarios where, you know, like you just mentioned, you won't realize that you have a pathogen in your crop until you know midway through flower at the end of harvest, and you're like, what just happened? You know, I have this particular part of my farm that is just 
it's not growing. And that's where we start talking about hoplatin and, and all these different viroids that can essentially just be deteriorating to the entire, to the entire process. So something like uh, Fusarium, like you just mentioned, there's, there's a, a species, a specific strain of Fusarium called Oxysporum. And that's, that's one of those really bad uh, pathogens that really could, you know, destroy crop. You know, we've, uh, we, we've seen circumstances where that is uh, an absolute sense. Uh, you have to restart your, your, your crop at that point because you can't get, you can't just treat the serum. And, and that's, again, the beauty of tissue culture and being able to have that fresh, clean start, which I know, Joe, we, we chatted a little bit about, um, you know, the adoption of pathogen screening and really having that be uh, an emphasis for nurseries and, and something that we pride ourselves on at Cultivated is that even though we're not required to provide pathogen screening tests, we do. We have a regular um, schedule that we that we mother our I'm sorry, we screen our mother plants using a uh, plant pathology third party laboratory. And historically, they you know they've been working with um, with vendors and and because right now there's no BCC lab that is approved um, to do plant pathology that we've come across. So if, if there is a lab out there that is uh, conducting pathogen screening, please reach out. I'd, I'd love to talk to you about this. Because again, this kind of goes back to what is the what is the best way that a nursery can start the process? Well, let's let's create that trust and let's create that that clean transaction that we are providing a a pathogen free product. Now, we know that we provide our our, our plantlets from tissue culture, right? We're taking things off these moms, and so there there is that variable of time. It takes time to actually get the the plant material into culture at the laboratory to actually be able to get the results back to see if there is a pathogen. So in the future, I really hope that there is a tool out there that nurseries can standardize around to essentially make sure that we are passing along clean material and in, uh, in the respective manner that you know we have a, a tool that can detect any sort of pathogen or viroid in real time. And I know it's out there; it's, it's being developed, and and um, it, it may it may not be available to us at this very point in time. But that's the request as a nursery, from an operator's perspective, we want to be able to provide that that trust and transparency the process because like you just said joe there's a lot of challenges from a cultivation site that um, you, know, you could get a pathogen introduced from a dirty pair of shears or a plant that has fusarium or um, hoplatin in it and this really goes into the care of the sops treating every plant like it's infected is probably the biggest uh you know point of emphasis that we have in our operation right we are an indoor nursery so we treat everything like it's infected because we want to be sure that we don't cross contaminate something from one plant to another. We have vigorous uh, you know, cleaning regimens on all of our tools and equipment and in our space, essentially. Um, is does that mean also mean, I mean, are you like quarantining plants? I mean, if you're bringing in new genetics, I mean, how do you what's your process for 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 doing that? I mean, I assume it's not just open up the door and throw it and throw the new genetics in with the with all the other plants. That's a great great question, Joe. And you know, one of the one of the benefits of of having plants introduced from tissue culture is that we actually receive them in a sterile environment. So they're coming in a um, in a in like a court actually covered up. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. My apologies, guys. Technical difficulties here. All good. That's the beauty of uh, going live. That's the fun part. Like, we already have another co-host, actually. I think my cat joined me. He kind of <laughs> sleeps. Creepiest thing, he sleeps sitting up sometimes just looking out the window. So don't. Don't be alarmed, but I'll, I'll let you continue. Yeah, my apologies, guys. I just got this new set of AirPods, and it just keeps disconnecting for some reason. So, Oh, don't worry about it, man. Uh -huh. So no the quarantine deal. process, right? So, again, going back to um, us receiving plants from node labs in the soup containers, right, the, the, the three-quarters um, containers that have a, a dome on there. So we do have a free veg space, right? So we'll bring them in and have them in their own environment and acclimate to the, uh, you know, to the, to the conditions. and that's the beauty of it. We, we know that we have a clean start coming out of, of TC. So when we receive them, they're in a, in, a, in, a, in a clean situation. However, this is a great point that I would like to talk about because when people do 
acquired you know, or, or, or bringing plants to their cultivation space. There should be a quarantine space or, or quarantine period at least before you start transplanting because you don't, you don't know what you're bringing in. And you know, if we're talking microscopic pests or certain pathogens, like do I encourage people to do their own um, pathogen screening and, and tests you know, before they even start planting? Yeah, but is it the reality? No. Now we don't have the tools because it's going to take weeks to, to receive that clean pathogen tests. So ideally, the quarantine period should be, you know, at least 24 to 48 hours right now, right? So we can see if there's anything visibly um, wrong with the plants, if there's any sort of wilting or, um, you know, or, or, or pathogens essentially that are coming out of the root expression. Um, and then pest pressure, right? I think that's, that's one of the major things that we're seeing in, in, uh, in, in the white space right now is that there's so many so many challenges that come from pests and from other states and and just genetics getting passed around now there's a larger great share of those of those challenges so if i could if i could say that there was a um an intake process for clones yeah give it a day or two quarantine give it um you know if you do have the ability to get your own pathogen tests done i encourage you to do so right i know that we're doing the best that we can we're ensuring that we're doing um, you know, all these steps in place to make sure that whatever does get passed along the supply chain is coming from a clean start. And, you know, the reality of what we're dealing with right now is, you know, the, the, the opportunity for pathogen introduction through, you know, dirty pair of shears or, you know, human vector of a pest. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a reality of what we're seeing. Hmm. Um, what? Well uh thank you um so you've you've been up and running now in sacramento for a little bit thank you for uh starting your business in 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 in, in sacramento um how did how did you end up in this space i mean i think everyone seems to have a different story about how they about how they arrived at at, at working in the cannabis space and some people were very intentional some people it was much more accidental, including myself. Um, you know, if you would have asked me, you know, 10 years ago, what I would be doing, I wouldn't have said, you know, this. Um, I also wouldn't have said my last job <laughs> either. Um, but what was your path um, to, 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 you know, business owner in cannabis? Yeah, so it's, um, I, I honestly didn't see myself um, being in this path as well. If you would have asked me 10 years ago, um, I do come from the hospitality industry. So really, really what attracted me to the cannabis space, um, probably about mid to about 2015, roughly, I was introduced um, to the space with, um, with some of my current partners that were operating the 215 days. So we had a flower operation, we converted over to a nursery. So from there, I just started recognizing that there was a lot of similarities from you know the hospitality industry as a supplier and and really creating that 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 infrastructure into you know um, into emphasizing on a trusted supplier partner right so that's really what attracted me to the nursery side of it so once the two fifteen days transitioned to sixty four um, I really I really thought that that was an opportunity for for this vision of cultivated to really take into take into transition so um, sold the house sold the car. When you know we 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 put together a really strong crew, um, my partners and I just we went all in, you know. And this is really where we, uh, you know, started to see the the expectation that we put on ourselves. You know, we're okay not making money right now. We're okay reinvesting into the business. We're comfortable investing into our people because that's really what the nursery space is about. We wanted to make sure that we had a trusted start, and that all starts with our people. So shout out to my cultivated family. I love you guys because this is really about you and the quality and care that you guys put into every day that we're doing this this business. It translates because me, I I manage the sales and marketing, the HR, the you know all all, all sorts of the the non plant touching side of the operation, right? So this is where my prior experience of working at a at a um, you know hospitality supply distributor allowed me to find the ways to kind of put the two together. And this is really what's exciting is because there's so many wonderful people in the cannabis space, professionals bringing cannabis IQ and business IQ together. And this is really where we're, again, we're, we're really proud about what we've done in these, uh, these short 11 months. And, you know, we, I know we may seem like we're a, a 
massively large corporate, you know, um, engine that's, you know, perceiving us to be this, this conglomerate, but we're still pretty small. And, and in reality, like, that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to focus on craft clones and emphasize, you know, the genetics portion and, um, you know, really be that, that, that trusted start. So I guess kind of what attracted me and how I got into this was, was I was, I was, you know, I, I wouldn't say I was an investor. I was kind of a, you know, outsider looking in that decided to invest into a group so I could learn more about this. And then that really uh, gave us the opportunity and the vision to, to, you know, to go down the rabbit hole and start learning about t- tissue culture and um, shout out to Kevin Jodry. I mean, he, he really was one of the major inspirations of us really getting into the nursery space. I mean, he just, he puts out so much knowledge and really showed us um, a lot of the, a lot of the great intentions um, coming from a nursery space operator. So, you know, we, we've taken a lot of different, a lot of different approaches, um, just from, you know, trying to accumulate all the different varieties of, of how we can be that trusted supply partner and going back to relationships, right? We're candid, we're very candid with our clients and our cultivation partners, whether it's retail or, or commercial. And, you know, that's really the, the cool thing about what I get to do every day is, you know, I, I get to manage the relationships and really understand what those challenges might be from the intake perspective and identifying the, you know, the challenges that, um, that they may have experienced with prior nurseries. And, you know, that's what we're doing. We're trying to focus on the things that we can do to make their, their life easier. I, I, you mentioned selling your house and selling your car um, to, to, to start the business. And, you know, I think that that is so much of, I think the reality for a lot of small cannabis business operators, like the real personal sacrifices that they've made to, the, to, 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 to begin their business. And, um, you know, I, I think that there's, I think there's a huge disconnect between, um, you know, often policymakers and the public around what cannabis businesses are and who they are. You know, I think if you ask the public, like, you know, do you think, you know, somebody is, has sold their house to start a business? And I'd be like, what? No, they're all just, you know, they all got a bunch of money from the Prop 215 days. And it's, that's how they started their company. Or they got a bunch of money from, from, from big investors, you know, like Aurora. Um, and that's just, you know, that's just not the case. And, you know, kudos to you for having the, <laughs> really the uh, courage or chutzpah uh, what do you want to, whatever word you want to use for, you know, for, for going all in like that, man, that had to be kind of a, that had to be a gutsy moment when you're pushing all those chips into the middle of the table and just saying, you know, what? I'm all in, I'm all in. You, know, it's, you get, you get one shot at life and I'm, I'm really all about chasing happiness and doing what, what I, you know, what I consider is bringing value to others. I'm, I'm kind of weird. Like I'm driven by thank you. And I, I know people laugh at me when I say that, you know, I like to, I aim to please, right? And that's just, that's just part of my culture. I was raised in a Mexican household with two loving parents that really encouraged me to do what I wanted to do, whether it was me trying to, you know, go to culinary school and be the next Emerald Lagasse. Before the Food Network was, was, was even a thing, I grew up on Yankee Cook and Emerald, right? So, like, I wanted to be, they saw that I had passion for, for, for that path. But now that, you know, things are transitioned to something that I truly feel blessed to have the opportunity to be an operator in this space because it's it, we're in its infancy stages i want to pioneer i want to be able to to be the voice and to help others uh you know congregate along that way you know we we, we talk about something called the nursery coalition where you know there's not very many nurseries out there in the space and i'm quickly realizing that i know why it's not easy to run a, a nursery not and i'm not just talking about getting good genetics i'm talking about the actual process of being a nursery there's a lot of there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of liability. There's a great deal of expectations, but that's really where we thrive is in the moment. We want to be able to have those high expectations and over deliver because it's really where I found that, uh, you know, the way that we've, um, my partners and I have, have congregated to really find what our strong suits are. And this kind of goes back to what, what you were touching on, Joe, is, you know, there, there's, a, there's a great expectation or this, this perception that there's a lot of money behind us. We're bootstrapping. You know, there's Plenty of people that are in this industry that have bootstrapped this and sold their house or their car to, to really lean into their opportunity and what they truly believe in. We've just been blessed by Rogod that starting a business at the start of the, the pandemic has actually paid off for us right now. And we're able to continue operating and continue to keep putting 
you know, clean clothes out in the marketplace. And there's a, there's a super important takeaway, and this applies to really any kind of cannabis business. As Joe said, you know, you put the chips to the middle and you kind of let it ride, which is awesome, but you did so intelligently. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I've always taken the position that if you want to get into the cannabis industry, you don't, you know, pick something you have never done and hope for the best. You maximize your pre strength. <laughs> No, but in, in, in all seriousness, I mean, I can tell you horror stories when I was in private practice where I would have people call me, um, you know, mainly money investors and asking me baseline questions about how much do lights cost? How much does it cost to buy fertilizer, the whole nine yards? And you get to a point in the conversation where you basically ask them, have you ever grown cannabis before? And you're going to, you know, spend all this money. So I think the really important takeaway from what you've said to this point is, yeah, you put it all on the line, but what you did that was really intelligent is you maximized your prior experience and then you found partners to supplement, you know, the business. And obviously you've learned a ton as you've gone along, I would imagine, in terms of nurseries and whatnot. But what's important to me and what stands out to me is that you connected with people that filled in the gaps within your business. Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. And I appreciate the compliment there because this really does come back to my, you know, our group, my partners that have really understood that we're all in the same wavelength. We we all have this this expectation for ourselves and where we want to go in the industry because we enjoy what, doing what we're doing. And we all have our own space along the way. Like I know, I know I love spreadsheets and reports. I love talking on Google. That's that's what I do, you know. So I'll be able to disseminate the information at a macro level and break it down to a micro level to showcase these are the analytics that we're running through and, you know, cost analysis and, you know, supply and demand, all the, you know, forecast versus demand expectations that, like you mentioned, my prior experience is actually applying into this realm. It's, it, it's second nature, right? And so, again, I'm not the cultivator. So shout out to Steve. He's the man behind the actual, uh, you know, the emphasis of the cultivation site. I mean, he's, he's been growing in deep water culture, you know, for quite some time. So, it's really about, like you mentioned, believing in the people that you surround yourself with. And I know there's a lot of cannabis entrepreneurs in here that, um, you know, they might have a lot of cannabis like you. It's okay to ask for help from somebody to aid in the process of uh, disseminating the information um, in a reporting format or just helping you get guidance from a cost analysis perspective. It's all right, right? And, you know, especially with 2AE, like I've never been very up to par on you know tax knowledge but now i'm i'm consider i consider myself pretty up to speed on what 2AE is and how we can uh, you know process our you know just the way we do business right now so um yeah there's a lot behind that about being able to surround yourselves and confidently say i'm not good at this or i'm not good at that and i'm leaning into what i'm actually good at that's what brings the happiness that's really what we what we at cultivator are finding out is that we love what we're doing we're challenging ourselves every single day to get better. And we challenge our people too, right? I think that's really what's important too is you can't just have you can't just have low wage employees and think that they're gonna do what you would do when nobody's looking. That's not okay. We challenge everybody at our organization because we're investing in them. We want people to kind of just really grasp the fact that the cultivated familia is something true that they believe in. And it's okay if they don't, right? I think if my team's listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. It's okay that you hit these points of not being happy with what you're doing, that's where you're going to come to us and talk to us about this. And if it, you can't put you in a different location or a different process, that's all right. You know, there, there's ways to get around, um, you know, the, the fact that we're blessed to be working in the cannabis space and doing what we love. How did you end up connecting with your partners? I mean, and the reason I ask that question is I would imagine there's probably people that are going to listen to this podcast who, you know, know what their skill set is but are looking for a partner um to kind of supplement you know if, let's say they're a you know a traditional cultivator and know everything you need to know about cultivating but don't have traditional business experience i mean how how did you go about connecting with your partners and do you have any tips as far as networking and that kind of thing to find someone you know that could be a good fit So it's kind of funny. Yeah, I keep thinking like there's a, um, like I, a I Tinder partners. Right. 
I, I think you just touched on something something very important. Put yourself out there, right? Like I, social media is probably the only tool that we have from a marketing perspective that I can literally DM either Ryan or Joe right now and, and actually have a conversation. Like, let's chat about this stuff, right? Here's what I can bring value and how we can collaborate on something. But really, go, you know, putting yourself in situations or around the type of people that you would want to work with. Um, I mean, this isn't the, I guess, really where... I'll back up a second. So I, I came in and met the group um, initially back in the 215 days from uh, actually one of my territory managers that I was working with at the time. And uh, she was part of my team. And we just started talking after the, you know, after the day was wrapping up. And um, she mentioned that her husband was in the cannabis space. And, you know, I'm not really sure if I should be telling you this, but I was just like, whoa, that's awesome. Tell me more, right? Because I was really intrigued, and and again, like I saw, I saw, you know, from an outsider looking in, you know, yeah, I, I consumed cannabis, you know, my teenage years, my twenties, mid twenties, and um, I took a little bit of a break there, and and when I realized that CBD was something that allowed me to introduce myself back into the cannabis spaces, I didn't really like the, the major psychoactive effects that uh, you know, that I was consuming, and um, again, CBD really helped me get back into the realm of of understanding how to consume cannabis. So she had mentioned that her husband was in this space and um you know i was like well i'd love to talk to him and let's you know let's see where this thing can go and that's back then you know that was another another way that i i thought about how i can introduce myself into the space and it was again it's just so intriguing like there were so many things about the the industry and actually seeing a live cultivation site like that was amazing i mean it was a, like a 3500 square foot indoor cultivation so somebody that's never seen a commercialized um you know, cannabis cultivation operation, going in and seeing stuff like that. Like I was just, I was just blown away. So right then and there, I knew that I wanted to find out more and really lean into it. But, you know, Ryan, it's a tough, it's a tough question to answer. Um, I mean, I think this is just where we're not being shy and just reaching out to people again, like that you see that have similar skill sets that, that you would love to, you know, lean into and work with and collaborate on. Because again, I know I'm a spreadsheet junkie. I like working on reporting. I like doing certain things with numbers and presentations that it's it, it comes second nature to me. So finding somebody to do the thing that you don't want to do, you know, that's, that's how you have to reverse engineer that question. Right, no, and I, I mean, I there is no right answer to a question like that. Um, and I guess just to add that, maybe looking, you know, putting yourself out there, social media, and actually LinkedIn. I mean, you can search by someone's, you know, expertise and background. So that might be something to look at. But, you know, I think a lot of people just kind of sit on their hands and hope someone shows up to their doorstep that can kind of fill the void they're looking for in their business. But I, it's just not the practical reality. And I think the point you make that you just kind of need to put yourself out there is, is the answer, quite frankly. You know, I love LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn is behaving like Facebook in 2013. You know, there's, like, there's so much organic. Reach That's what Ryan LinkedIn. keeps saying. Yeah. I just parrot everything Gary Vaynerchuk says. I'll admit it here and now, but uh, 100% though. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a huge Gary V follower too. And again, he's probably the reason that I decided to sell the house and to go all in because I'm like, you know what? He's right. Like you can always make more money at some job. Right. But really, what do you want to do to be happy? You have to build that happiness and you have to take risks. So being able to, uh, to kind of go on to a platform like LinkedIn and like you said, put in the work, put in the effort to actually find people that you would want to work with. And just, you know, posting stuff about what you are passionate about, whether it's if, if it's cultivating. Yeah. You know, post stuff about cultivation. You know, for me, I'm uh, I'm really into the whole breeder scene and the breeder network. And again, this is why I'm so blessed to be able to be with NodeLab because they've introduced us to, you know, Chris Lynch at Compound Genetics and Tristan Linsky with Midwest Best, right? So we, they, they see that we're a conduit for their work, their life's effort to be, you know, put through this commercialized operation that we have. I consider us like Spotify, right? Like they're the, they're the artists. Node Labs can be the, call them the, you know, the producer. And then we are the, you know, we're the Spotify platform that's just blasting out the, you know, these cultivars into, into the, into the space. So there's a really nice synergy going around there. So yeah, I think going into uh, LinkedIn is a great platform, like you mentioned, and, you know, just searching for specific topics. And I know the SEO on LinkedIn is very, very precise. 
So, how are you? You know, strains continue to be. Uh, I'll just say have a have a pretty high degree of importance within the flower within the flower market. Um, um, you know, how are you? How do you stay on? How do you stay on top of that? Like, how do you? You know, are you, you're working with like like breeders as to like what's next. I mean, is this is this about finding what's popular and kind of getting ahead of the curve, or 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 is it you know creating? you know, something that's going to be next, that's going to be like the next, you know, OG Kush or, you know, fill in the blank, you know, popular strain. I don't really chase strains, so that's why I usually struggle. You saw me struggle to, to like name more than one. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I love this conversation. This particular topic is, is really what gets me fired up because it's very difficult to predict what the retail market will want, which is why we as a nursery love the attention that we're getting. Right? I love having the adoption day um, posts and getting all these sorts of questions about cultivars and really um, around what's driving that, that purchase. Well, let me back up a second. I think right now there's a major deficiency in the way that the commercial market is, is supplying the retail space because there might be a disconnect on the level of education that the bud tenders at these retail experiences are actually providing, right? Right now, all they walk in and see is what's the highest potency at the cheapest amount of, of price point. That's 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 disheartening, right? Because you're missing out on so many wonderful cultivars that have you know uh, you know sub twenty percent THC potency that have amazing terpene profiles and that have excellent bag appeal and flavor, right? Like this is really where it becomes how can we predict? Because let's talk about Purple Punch a year and a half ago two years ago, right? Like it was, it was on the scene and then it just disappeared quicker than it had because, the, you know, the potency just didn't resonate that long. It was maybe a, you know, a mid-teen potency type of a cultivar. It would, it, and, and like the potency just didn't really last for a long time. But that's really just the introduction of, of why we're leaning into terpene heavy cultivars because there's so many more varieties out there that can allow for the, the the terpenes to be expressed and really have that enjoyable experience. I always love using the analogy of walking into a liquor store. You don't walk into a liquor store and ask for Everclear. Maybe you had a bad day or something, but typically <laughs> I want to go in and I'm going to look for some smoky mezcal, right? I love seeing all these different crappy mezcal that are popping up on the team because I love the flavors, right? I love sipping these things. And I see the same type of experience going when I go into a dispensary. And I, you know, I, I, play, I play dumb. I want to ask about you know, the different flavor profiles and, and, and see, you know, what the knowledge is that it, that's getting, uh, you know, reiterated. So ideally like the, the cultivation, I'm sorry, the, uh, the retail dispensary partner network is, is crucial in this whole exercise. We want to be able to coach what the market will want rather than guessing what it's going to want. We want them to realize that there's a flavor and an experience behind the terpenes and these cultivars. That's not all derivative of THC potency. So that's kind of where the whole THC, I'm sorry, uh, terpenes over THC initiative is, is catching wind. And, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was just talking to um, Sarah Tokes or Red Turp Talk about this, you know, and she was, she was adamant that, yes, that is the thing. Like we need to create more awareness around the flavor profiles and the terps and the different cannabinoids besides THC potency. And I may not be a very uh, popular person by saying that, but it's, it's really where I started to lean into the breeder side of things and realize that they've married this particular label with this one so that it can create this flavor profile. And that's what's cool about cannabis, in my perspective. I really like the fact that we could really lean into that and showcase why these flavors and why the, the, the genetic side of the, the experience is so important. Yeah, I do think you're popular in this live chat. I'll let Joe expand upon it, but Joe and I have talked about this multiple times in terms of it kind of being a race to the bottom, just Tachy chasing THC percentage, but I'll let, I'll let Joe expand upon No, that. I think you, you, that's exactly it. You know, uh, it is, I think, a bit of a race to the bottom. And I think it does um, ultimately a disservice to the, 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 the plant and, and, and the customer. Um, you know, it shouldn't be, there's so many other cannabinoids uh, and terpenes that are, that are part of the cannabis plant that, you know, that are not THC. And that's the first question is that, 
that everyone asks is like, well, what's the THC percentage of it? You know, myself personally, I have some of the most favorite flower that I found um, was at uh, Apothecarium in San Francisco, and it was their house flower. Um, it was, you know, a lower to mid-tier price flower, but it was awesome. It had amazing nose on it, and it had um, a nearly one-to-one ratio of THC to CBD, which, um, I, you know, I, I, which I personally really enjoy. And I, I do wish that the industry would um, maybe begin to kind of coalesce around bud tender education that needs to be kind of driven down into the consumer level. Um, for a whole lot of reasons. I mean, I think we can get into, um, you know, the, you know, the, just the, the potential for abusing this product, this product cannabis is not free of potential from abuse. Um, you know, and it shouldn't be just about like how much THC is and how high you can get. Right. I mean, it, it is, it is much larger than, than that, you know, different strains seem to affect me differently. I'm probably not alone in that. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, that terpene profile. Um, and so I, I, don't, I, I completely agree. I wish that the industry would have a much begin to have a much more in depth conversation with the consumer. I think we owe it to the consumer um, to really start to dig in, uh, you know, to, to, to get into some research and then, you know, push that research and education out to the, out to the consumer. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, the, 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 the chasing the THC is, is, um, is a bit of a pet peeve of mine. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. Um, just cause it seems to be the only question that gets asked what two, there's two questions, right? When you're, when you're buying, you know, generally buying cannabis or whether you're the consumer, <clears throat> whether you're the average consumer or you're, you know, a buyer, um, at a retail, uh, for retail stores, how much does it cost? And what's the THC percentage? That's it. And if, you know, if the, and if the price is right and it's got enough THC, it's like, there is no third, there's no follow-up question. Maybe the follow-up question is like, and when can it be delivered? But, you know, yeah, I mean, that 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 example right there, Joe, um, reminds me of a cultivar that we currently have in our library, Dosi Lotto. It's a 33 cross with Dosi Dose. And this, this particular cultivar has been, I've seen it range from 15% THC all the way up to 27% THC. So, what's what's interesting about that is that the terpene profiles have come back at, you know, three, four, five percent. Which again, like if somebody has a 16% THC dosi lotto, but it's got 5% turfs, like why wouldn't I want to try that? Like for me, I want to taste it. Like I want the experience. And this is what's very concerning about the commercial space right now is that buyers are only looking at bulk wholesale um, cultivars that are at least 20%. If it's sub 20%, they either won't even want to bother with it, or they're gonna, you know, or you're just gonna get Break over the coals for the price point on that, even though it's got beautiful bag of peel and the turf is so high, you know, it's it's sad, it's just hard. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, if you're just chasing it, why not just take a dab, right? <clears throat> I mean, if that's all you're looking for, right? You know, I mean, just move into just move on to concentrates. <laughs> what do you guys think is going to make that change, though? Because it's like, and we've we've I think alluded to this throughout this kind of segment of the podcast, it's like. We're just in this like cycle. So whether you're a distributor selling to a retailer or you're a nursery selling to a cultivator who is selling to a distributor to a retailer, you know, you're you're having to obviously consider what is actually going to be bought from your business, right? And if you have a retailer saying, I need 28 plus percentage in, when it comes to THC and that's all I'm interested in, I mean, what is it gonna take to break the cycle, I guess is my question. And I don't know if there's an answer to that question, but it's something I've thought of actually. Well, I think um, from a nursery perspective, we, we, we're banging the loud drum of focus on the turfs, focus on the different cannabinoids that you can understand. Because I know for me, I like higher CBGA derivative cultivars, and that's, that's gonna help me sleep. That helps me turn my brain off at night. You know, I can do this all day long. That's fine. But I know at some point I got to rest. So being able to utilize cannabis in a microdose format, knowing that I can go out a specific cold that's got high CBGA, that's awesome. Perfect. So just education, 
again, I think us as a grocery, we can continue to, um, you know, to, to bring awareness through the adoption days and really leading into, you know, um, a lot more, I guess, a lot more collaborative efforts with our uh, retail dispensary partners, which I'll be the first to say, I think you know, the timing of COVID hitting was uh, was put a deterrent into what we actually wanted to do from a, um, from all these adoption day processes. Like we wanted to show up and talk about the genetics and talk about the experience and, and uh, you know, turf over the THC thing. But, you know, there's no excuse. I can, going back to Gary Vee, I can turn my, my live stream on right now and just start talking and, and, and engaging with the community about, you know, turfs and, um, you know, and different cannabinoids about this. So you know, I, I think I'm going to take that as our takeaway. Like we should be doing more to educate and really help, uh, you know, help the, the consumer understand a bit more about that. So you mentioned um, uh, one of the minor cannabinoids, CBGA, um, which is the, is that, it's still, the A still means it still has the acid chain. I mean, now we're getting really, really kind of geeky into this stuff. Um, so is that undecarbo—is that not decarboxylated then? CBGA? Because uh, it still has the acid? That's a great question, Joe, that I don't know the answer to. All right. To be continued. We'll research that one. I just learned. But my, 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 my real question was, um, uh, what are maybe some of the, the the other uh, well are you starting to see kind of breeding for some of these minor cannabinoids within the space with with with, with you know are, are people you know trying to breed for uh higher amounts of thcv or you know uh cbn or whatever the whatever the cannabinoid is there is there an intentional um effort um in the in the kind of genetics movement to, for these minor cannabinoids i i love the question but i personally haven't seen it yet more so i see more intentional breeding for flavor for yield for certain color but i know that the, the market right now is demanding super dark cultivars like purple really really dark flavor right i want good bag appeal so i, I know that there's an emphasis on breeding for that kind of demand but not necessarily for different cannabinoids. And I think that's, I, I, I may be limited to my level of exposure from that because there's probably people saying, well, I'm doing that today. Great, like that's that's what we're doing. We wanna bring awareness around it so that companies such as Cultivated and other entities that wanna be able to bring in specific cultivars that are really gonna channel into that direct market need or that desired trait from a specific type of cultivar. Yeah, I, I, I encourage that. And something that we're passionate about is we actually do want to have uh, like a more of a breeder channel, a breeder network that we can not only just work with and collaborate, but to actually, you know, build people up through the through the actual channel of us utilizing our network in our space for breeders to conduct their work and maybe come out with specific cultivars that were that are directed towards that need. Hmm. Um. All right, one more other genetics question, and I promise I won't make it too technical. <laughs> um, what um, what's what are what's I guess you know strain wise kind of what's what do you see that's really kind of popular at the at the moment? Um, and I guess what what's what's next? Um, you know, maybe not just what's the next big strain and, um, and, and what's kind of, um, what's next for, um, for, I, I guess, kind of the, the, the evolution is it, is it breeding for that volume or, you know, is that what cultivators are look like, but what's the next big strain? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer the second part of that question first, then I'll come back to the first, because I know that the, the commercial market right now demanding from us as a nursery is I need something with you know, um, medium to high potency, I need big yield and I need color. So from a nursery perspective, like that's, I don't wanna say we're limited on options, but it takes time to put stuff through tissue culture. So the availability of, of particular cultivars, yeah, we've got a lot of access to those. Um, thank you again, Node, because you guys, have a ton of stuff already in your genetic library and that's banked right now that we can pull out a TC and be able to throw into our system within a matter of a few months. 
which is awesome because it typically takes, you know, it could take over a year to get something through tissue culture and then have it viable to put into a system for propagation. So being able to identify the popular cultivar that will be the thing. I know we're leaning heavily into, uh, you know, flavoring turfs. So we're hoping that the demand will create, um, or I'm sorry, will we'll gravitate more towards flavor and turfs. So we're actually bringing in a few different cultivars uh, through compound genetics that are gelato crosses, right? So being able to focus in on the flavor and a lot of the jet fuel crosses that uh, that Chris Lynch read are are absolutely that they're flavorful, and you know the bag appeal on these things is absolutely amazing. So I know what's big right now is runs. I shout out to the runs crew. I mean they do a, they they've been popular for a while, and uh, actually recently uh, compounds just re um, they will be releasing the white runs collaboration um, in seed form. So yeah, that's that should be a, a very interesting um, seed pack collection coming out. So. Um, something also is the grape gasoline. I, I feel like the grape gasoline crosses that he's working on are going to be phenomenal. And, and again, they're going to channel in a lot of those terpene-rich, uh, you know, derivative type of cultivars and, and, you know, really identifying that. Is it just potency? I hope not, because this is, a, again, where you can have such variance in the taste and potency is, from a cultivator. Is, is motor breath related to one of those, one of the gasoline strains? Motor breath. Oh, does that have a jet fuel gelato cross? I don't know off the top of my head. Okay, that's just one of the strains that I came across that, that I thought was um, absolutely fantastic, and um, uh, yeah, that was it was a pretty phenomenal strain. That one was also grown uh, not too far from me. I think it was a, a nearby neighbor was was growing that one. Um, so, so do you then do you then see kind of currently right now the the cultivator is kind of chasing the market right? So the this massive consumer base is kind of moving around like oh we now want this we now want that, um, and the cultivator is trying to you know kind of catch that and 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 meet that. Is that's kind of what what's currently happening in the marketplace? Yeah, Joe, I think I've seen a lot of that for sure. And, you know, especially for, especially for brands, right? Like I know that, I know there's a big challenge of trying to guess, I know we touched on this earlier, but what is happening to the market demand and, you know, chasing the next cultivar is, is definitely challenging again, because it takes time to, to bring it into pop seeds, whether um, it has or hasn't been phenol hunted and then to be able to, you know, reproduce that in a, in a commercial scalable form. I mean, again, genet genetic stability um, is a challenge and being able to, to kind of go through the, the tissue culture process to make sure that a genetic, that you are going to be propagating for a large scale, um, you know, process is stable and has been, you know, gone through the, uh, the genetic cleansing process to make sure that you're not passing along any pathogens or, you know, you might have a viroid in there. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely a challenge for sure. So will there always be this, this evolving circle of chasing with the next cultivar? Unfortunately, I think it's it's yeah. I, I, unless there's some some new technology that can you know reproduce tissue culture product in a, in a quick format and you know be able to do something like that, um, only time will tell for sure. Well, uh, we've only got a few more minutes left, and really appreciate you um, taking the time to to come on and, and chat with us. Um, you know, if you could, um, we do have, uh, uh, at least historically on this, a uh, bit of a policy kind of, um, episode, uh, focus, um, or at least touch on, which we haven't really talked about too much today. Um, so I'd like to just kind of quickly cover that. Um, you know, you are in, um, you know, kind of almost a niche, niche licensee within the, Within the the cannabis um, within the cannabis licensing structure, um, are there any particular pain points uh, that, that that nurseries um, are, are kind of being affected by, whether it be regulation wise or um, you know or taxation wise? I know you talked about you mentioned two eighty e, and and Ryan and I keep 
um, saying that that's a whole other conversation and it is, and I think we're going to have to do it. Like that's probably almost worthy of like a part A and part B of a show. Um, but is there anything, you know, with, within your world that you're like, boy, that's just that, that one just doesn't make any sense. And, or oh, I wish that would change. You know, um, I think one of the biggest things we might've touched on a little bit was just real-time pathogen screening, you know, and having the ability and having the tools to truly be able to, to pass along the most hundred percent confident product at a nursery space level. So as, as we continue to evolve, the BCC will probably eventually put these regulations in place um, for nurseries to be able to provide the, you know, this type of, of knowledge, right? This, this type of confidence behind the product. So knowing that we're doing that today, it's just, you know, it, that, that's the one pain point that I really do um, hope that starts catching a little bit more. And, you know, again, like we want to we wanna work with other nurseries. We want to be part of this coalition to really help standardize that level of expectation and the standardization of testing and, and how do we get there. It's just by, by doing this, by talking about what we're doing. And, you know, there is such a small network of nurseries, which, you know, um, I I do have a lot of respect and admiration because this is a very difficult space and I see why it's uh, there's not very many of us out there because again going back to the responsibility and the the expectations so you know from you know from a metric standpoint it's you know it's pretty straightforward I know there was a major update to the uh, to the metric platform earlier in the year which saved me a whole lot of time because I handled the metric compliance side of the business as well is having that um, checkbox of you know, clones taken from the mother plant. So that whole process um, before I had to like, you know, record cuttings as waste and then we had to weigh it and then put that in each day that we took propagated cuts. I was like, that didn't make sense. So kudos to you, whoever that was at the metric team that was able to uh, to, to fix and add that, that piece in there. Um, another area that might be a pain point, you know, it's, it, it's just standardizing. And I think, you know, the testing side of of, uh, of nurseries is probably the most important part. And you know anybody that has worked with us uh, today, and if you know, we really appreciate you guys for for joining the cultivated community because it's, it's difficult. It's very challenging to be able to trust and bring in new plants into your environment because you're you know you're adopting those plants for the next three four months, and you know like you touched on earlier, you could be introducing a pathogen that could be very detrimental to your to your operation. So again, thank you guys for for taking the time to uh, to help us educate. Uh, the community and really we need the you know the platform to showcase why it's important for us to you know to, to be doing what we're doing and, and we're very proud of that thank you i'll make my my last question a, a marketing question and is marketing a pain point for nurseries and the reason i ask the question is you know my general approach or opinion when it comes to marketing and cannabis is give your best stuff away i thoroughly believe that you know net you'll see more benefit from quote unquote, your best stuff being up on your Instagram and the goodwill that that creates with your audience than holding it close to your chest and hiding it. That being said, nurseries are a little bit different, right? Because you guys have extremely proprietary information that you can't just put out into the ethos. And, you know, I mean, I guess to an extent at least. So how do you, how do you reconcile that? I mean, is, is marketing difficult because you're trying to protect proprietary genetics? I mean, what's kind of the middle ground with that? You know, you, you touched on something that I, that I started just laughing at myself because I do see myself as a media company first and a nursery second, right? That's how I treat my, my social media platform. I love resharing content that we get tagged on. I love sharing everything that people, you know, put out into the space because they're proud of what they're growing. And that that's a direct reflection of our work and our effort and our trusted relationships that people have actually taken us into their into their garden you know that is so so right so being able to reshare and i and i i reshare a lot of content that's really what my feed is around um is just a lot of reshares and, and tagging and creating a lot of awareness around that so from a nursery perspective it's awesome to have the kind of attention that we're getting right now we just hit five thousand followers and again we're 11 months young um you know but we're behaving like uh, a seasoned veteran that's been doing this for a long time even though we have been doing the nursery thing for quite you know about four or five years now but again in this format and the cultivated genetics and now this is our brand that we're really truly representing as a trusted start it's pretty fun to be able to do that and again i encourage everyone that is running our gear to keep tagging us because you will get reshared 
And what's the what's the username that you guys use across social media, just so people know? Yeah, so we can be found at cultivated underscore mg. So C L T V T D underscore M is in Mary, G's in George, short media group. Awesome. Sergio Picasso with Cultivated. Thank you so much for, for taking some time this afternoon and being with us. Gentlemen, I really appreciate your time. And again, thank you all for, for your questions and who's your mom? Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.